You know what those snaps are? Every time a snap happens, that's somebody that passes from this world and leaves this earth. Last year, there were over 150,000 people worldwide that passed away every single day. And that's last year. But interestingly enough, that number actually has been over the last few decades. Sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's less. But overall, the average is about 150,000 people die each and every day on this earth. Now, if you take that number a little bit deeper, and if you consider the fact that 29.2% of the world is unevangelized, there are around... 44,000 people every day that die not knowing about Jesus. Unfortunately, that number is getting bigger because those are just the unevangelized people. Those are the people that don't hear about Jesus at all. We live in a nation where you hear about Jesus a good amount of time. Y'all seem to like numbers last time I spoke. Check out these numbers. 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. And I know the Holy Spirit does the winning. I've been a part of the journey of seeing somebody come to belief in Christ. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. 71% of believers do not give toward financing the Great Commission. One one denomination did a survey, and what I was reading didn't say which denomination it was. It probably was not Baptist, but uh, the results are as follows. 63% of the leadership of this denomination, including deacons and elders, have not led one stranger to Jesus in the last two years. 49% of the leadership ministries spend zero time in an average week ministering outside of the church. That means they have no community activities, nothing to reach outside of of these walls. 89% of the leadership ministries have zero time reserved on their list of weekly priorities of going out to evangelize. Interestingly enough, 99% of the same leadership believe that every, every Christian, including leadership, has been commanded to preach the gospel to a lost world. 97% believe that the leadership had, great, had a greater conviction and involvement in evangelism, that it would, it would be an example to follow. And then lastly, 96% of the leadership believe their churches would have grown faster if they would have been more involved in evangelism. So already we're seeing that there seems to be a discrepancy there where we have 99% of the leadership believe that we should be doing it, but yet we're not giving any time or resources to do it. And we wonder why in the last 10 years, church attendance has bottomed out. It continually declines. Professions of faith are down, which leads to uh, born-again Christians being down. Participation in Sunday school or small groups has dropped in half. And Bible reading and prayer uh, have dropped even further. 
And you may be sitting there thinking, but Dave, that's, that's a different denomination. That's not Baptist. Well, I got some of those numbers too. Southern Baptist, the denomination known for evangelism, reported this year, these are the most recent numbers, that this is the lowest number of baptisms since 1946. It's the lowest membership since 1990 and the lowest worship attendance since 1996. What are we doing? We as a denomination and we as a church, big C church work, not Ivy Creek specifically, but as a church, are in a, free for, are in a free fall and no one knows how to stop it. So what do we do? What do we do with this problem that's out there? I'll give you a hint. We don't remove the pulpit and bring a table and a chair up here so that we can wax eloquently over the scriptures. We don't bring shades in and drop them over the stained glass to keep out light so we can create more of an effect on stage with the lights. We don't change our worship style. The only way that we can change the current trends is to go out and get the people. We must stop hoping that they will eventually walk in our door just because we're a pretty building. We have to go out and get them. So how do we do that? What do we do? What do we, how do we go from here? We know the problem. I used to get so frustrated at times in ministry when I would have supervisors that would sit there and go, well, this is the problem, and this is the problem, and this is... I know the problems. What's the solution? How do we change the current trends that are going on? We have to do something different. And we have to quit changing what's going on in here, and we have to change what we do to get out there. And from what I know of Ivy Creek Baptist Church, we are a very biblically literate congregation. I know that you've read your Bibles. I know that you continue to read your Bibles. And so for the most part, I'm pretty sure that you have read Matthew 28 at some point, or at least heard about it. And so I know that you know that, that in the Great Commission, that was not a suggestion from Je Jesus to go out and make disciples. That's a command. That's a command to go out and make disciples. I know you know that. And so I don't want to spend part of our time together today to, to sit there and, and continue to rehash that because that's, that's in Scripture. That's go out and make disciples. But why don't we do it? Why don't we... Why don't we go out of these doors and continue to spread the news about Jesus? We do it all the time. We go on mission trips. I used to take students on mission trips all the time, and, and, and they would go out, and they would be all about sharing Jesus with people around them. Dave, Dave, can we go to the park and share Jesus with that, that boy over there? He's over there by himself. Can we go over there and start just playing and, and share, the, share Jesus with him? Absolutely. But the question I would have every time we came back is, all right, how do we do this back home? I don't know. Why can you do in Guatemala what you can't do in 
Gwinnett County, Georgia. Maybe it's because we don't fully understand the, the strategy and purpose God has for us to share our faith. I know we've been commanded to do it. I know we've been told to do it. And there's a lot of times we stand up and go, yeah, do it. But do we really, really understand why? And so this morning as we go through uh, Acts 26, and if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open those up or if you've got your iPad or iPhone or whatever you use to read scriptures with us on Sunday mornings. There's an account here in the book of Acts where Paul is before King Agrippa explaining his conversion on the road to Damascus. And it's a little bit different from the other two accounts that we have of Paul to Damascus because in this account, we get, what, we get more of what Jesus said to Paul on this road. And so I think we'll see in this, in this interaction between Paul and Agrippa and Paul telling of his story, Paul telling of his testimony of how Jesus changed his life, I think we'll begin to see the, the plan and the purpose for why we should evangelize. Other than Jesus told me to do it, which is always a great reason. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, I'm going to read Acts 26, 12 through 20. Uh, and I do read from the ESV. I know sometimes it may, people ask me, what are you, what are you reading for? Craig usually does uh, New King James Version because that's what's uh, in the back of the pews there. But I just do ESV. Chapter 26, verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. What they may, may receive, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so how did we get here? How did Paul, this Jewish Christian, this Jewish convert to Christianity, get an audience with the king of Palestine? Now, I'm sure it wasn't Paul's plan, but he got arrested. He was minding his own business. The Jewish hierarchs decide something's got to be done with Paul. We've got to stop this movement. So he gets arrested. And so Paul was put in prison on false charges that he received in Jerusalem. And so because of that, he was given an audience in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And guess what Paul did there? He told the gospel. He told them how God had changed his life, how Jesus had changed his life. 
Then there was a plot against him to kill him. And so they moved him. They said, well, we can't have him here if he's going to, we can't have him die in prison, so let's move him. And so they moved him to Caesarea, which gave him an audience with the Roman governor, uh, Felix, at the time. And what did Paul do there? Share the gospel. Told of how Jesus had changed his life and made him a different man. And after two years sitting in that prison, Paul gets another audience. Because by now, a new Roman governor had come along named Festus. And what Festus does is Festus puts Paul before King Agrippa. And so all Paul has done is Paul's continually gone in front of people, shared his story, shared the gospel, and so they keep putting him out there. Because nobody knows really knows what to do with Paul. They're like, this doesn't sound like charges to really keep anybody in prison. I mean, he's sharing about Jesus. But yet, they don't really know what to do with him. And so here he is. He gets this audience with King Agrippa. And so what we learn here is like, if, if we're going to, when we get the opportunity to share the gospel, it's not always according to what we have planned or our plan. But what the Scripture continues to tell us is we should share the gospel no matter what, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're faced with. And so here we have Paul in a plan that he didn't devise, but a plan that was in front of him, has had the opportunity to share with uh, the high legal counsel there uh, among the Jewish people and three of the most powerful people in his region at the time. And so it's this last meeting with King Agrippa that I want to focus on today. Uh, and as it comes out, as we see in the beginning part of chapter 26, is King Agrippa is saying, all right, Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. He has come in with all this pomp uh, and all this celebration, and he's come in, and he's come in just to hear what Paul has to say. Because he's heard about this prisoner that they don't really know what to do with. So he's like, all right, what you got? What you going to tell us? And so Paul, even though he is uh, still in chains, raises up his hand and he begins to speak. And as he starts to talk and as he starts to speak, he begins to tell the story of how he got to where he is right now. He's like, look, I was a good Jewish boy. I did all my studying. I did what I was supposed to. I followed the commandments. I even worked my way up to the highest position that you could have and lived as a Pharisee. And so I was convinced that this movement of Jesus was was nothing, that it needed to be squelched just like all the Jewish leaders felt at the time. He said, so in that full-on full rush to get that done, he was at the stoning of Stephen, as we find out in other scriptures uh, earlier in the book of Acts, and he approved of that stoning. He's like, I was, I was zealous about it. I was out there. I was ready to go take care of this Christian movement. And so that's how I ended up on the road to Damascus. 
I had papers in my hand, ready to imprison those that needed to be imprisoned and ready to do other things with those that wouldn't listen. Uh, it says in, chat, in verse 11, he said, And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And so that's what brings us to verse 12. Paul says, And in that connection, as I was on, my, as I was on the road to Damascus, at midday, I saw the way, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. What an amazing story. As he's before this king and he's, he's, he's sharing his stories like, look, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. But then Jesus came and wrecked my life. Jesus came and saved me. On the road to Damascus, let me tell you about what, what went on. Let me tell you about why I'm here and why I keep talking about the gospel. And so the words that Paul hears, and it's not words that we see in the other two accounts, and so that's what I thought was very interesting about this account, is that we hear uh, specific instructions that Jesus gives to Paul. And it's these instructions that I want to focus on today because I think it's these instructions that help us see why we need to go out and evangelize. It gives us these instructions that we need to go out of these walls and tell people about Jesus Christ more than just because I, because I said so. This is the why and the purpose. Didn't y'all hate that as kids? But mom, why do we got to do this? Because I said so. And I remember thinking then, I am never going to say that as, to my child. And I say that all the stinking time. <laughs> but daddy, why do I have to? Because I said so. Oh, I said it again. Oh. But anyway. So this is more than just the because I said so. I always wanted to know the why. And so I think this gives us a why and a plan and a purpose for why we need to go outside these walls and share our faith in Jesus. Um. And so, as we get into it, the first thing that we see and the first point that we have on the sermon today is uh, our purpose is to go and tell the message of the gospel. Uh, and as we look at what Paul said, um, it says, but right, Paul's been blinded by the light, and it doesn't say that here, but we know that from the earlier accounts that Paul's been blinded at this point. And Jesus says, but rise and stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you for, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So there in verse 17, we get, the, we get, we get part of the why. Jesus wants Paul to go and tell the message of the gospel to the Jewish and the Gentile people. Jesus is giving Paul his marching orders. He's telling with whom he will share this message of Christ. And aren't we glad he did? Because Paul accepted those marching orders and because Paul went out and did what he's supposed to do, we have church as we have it today. We have most of the New Testament because Paul did that. We are to do the same. 
And when I think about this, I, I, and, I, and I wonder why people don't go and tell the message of the gospel. Because uh, about 10 years ago, my life was changed forever. Somebody told me about five guys. Burgers and fries, you know, the red, white, chicken. And you're sitting there going, that's not real spiritual. I know. But, but somebody told me about five guys, burgers and fries. We were, we were, I was living in Jacksonville, and somebody said, Dave, obviously you like food. Have you heard about this new burger place called Five Guys? No, tell me about it. So I went and checked it out, and they give you a simple burger that you can put whatever you want to on it. You order a regular fries, and, and they end up giving you double that. And my friend even said, hey, if you're going with somebody, share the fries. It's enough for two, possibly three. And it was a great hamburger. And you know what I did after that? I told somebody else. I said, have you tried this Five Guys Burgers and Fries? It's great. It's a good burger. It's simple. They just put it on a griddle. It doesn't have charbroiled taste or anything, but it's a good burger. I went and told people about it. And then they went and told me. And then we started meeting at Five Guys after church. Can you believe that? It's crazy. And I'm being facetious and I'm embellishing a little bit, but don't we do that with things that we're passionate about? If my brother gets a new driver in golf, he comes and he tells me about it. If I see something new uh, about a new golf ball or about a new golf club, we sit there and talk about it. I say, hey, have you heard about this? Why don't we do that with the gospel? Because Jesus' command to Paul is not any different than his command to us. We're to go and tell. And we talk about the things that are passionate to us. Uh, that we are passionate about. I would love to say that uh, in my life I've been just as passionate about telling about Jesus as I have been about Five Guys Burgers and Fries. But that's not been the case. So as I'm sitting up here on, on this podium, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. I, I've got them all pointing back. This, this is a sermon for myself. Y'all just get to be a part of it. And so we need to go and tell the message of the gospel, which is this first thing that, that Jesus tells Paul as he tells him to get up on his feet. I've got a mission for you. We've got to stop being a go-and-see church to a go-and-tell church. Jesus never said, come and see what's going on. He told us to go and tell. Go out and tell people about Jesus. The next thing that we see, and the, the second point uh, on our outline, to help open the eyes of unbelievers. To help open the eyes of unbelievers. And so in verse 17, it says, Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. You know, Satan's a bad man. And he blinds the unbeliever. Uh, in fact, real quickly, just look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And you can look it up later. You can just write it there. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel for the, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so right there in Paul's, one of Paul's later uh, letters, he tells us point blank, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Do you think when he wrote that, he was thinking back to this road to Damascus experience and going, you know, Jesus told me about this. Satan blinds the unbeliever. And only God can bring light to darkness. We put the truth of the gospel in a person's mind with a testimony. And then we pray for the miracle of spiritual sight. And then God, in His time, says, Let there be light. Because we have hope in the second part, in verse 6, just a couple of verses later. For Jesus' sake, uh, for God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's God who says, Let there be light. It's God who brings us out of the darkness, but it's up to us to tell the message of how to get out of the darkness. So it's up to us to help unbelievers to open their eyes, to see the truth of the gospel. And if we don't tell them, who will? Number three. Next thing that we learn as we walk through this uh, what Jesus is telling Paul, it says to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. We are to help unbelievers turn from darkness to light. As their sight is opened, as their eyes are opened, they pass from darkness into light. Have you ever thought about that a person who has been blind from birth has no idea what darkness is? We only know about darkness because we've been exposed to light. Satan's only power over us is through deception. If Satan can keep our eyes closed and blind as long as possible, then he can continue to deceive us to know that we don't need the light. He's always trying to make something different than it actually is. But when a person's eyes are open to Christ, when a person's eyes are open to see that light finally, then they see Christ as, as He really is. They're exposed to the true light. And when we're exposed to the true light in Jesus Christ, then the darkness is also exposed. And so we see the world and sin as it really is. And when we have that, the power of Satan is broken forever. Because when we have the light of Christ in us, then that power is broken because then Satan can no longer deceive us with... He can no longer revel in the deception because we now see him for who he truly is. We've come out of the darkness and into light. The only way that Satan can really hold you is by keeping you from seeing what is truly desirable which is the incredible grace of Jesus Christ. And so as believers, 
We are to go out and help unbelievers see what it means to go from darkness into light. So number four. Somebody told me I had, you got too many points on your thing. I said, I'll go through them quick. <laughs> to help unbelievers receive forgiveness. Uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. The ultimate result of salvation is forgiveness of your sin. For God to take what is inside of you and to make it clean again. The ultimate forgiveness of sins. And I think a lot of problems in our culture is because people are, are missing this. That they're spending a lot of time, energy, uh, money to try to cover up this sin and the only way to do it is through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so we go out and evangelize because we're trying to help unbelievers receive forgiveness. We're trying to help them uh, through the power of Jesus Christ be able to uh, be able to cleanse and see the mercy of God, to see the grace of God, to experience the grace of God just like Paul did. And so as Jesus is talking to Paul, he's like, um, that they go, that, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And then what follows up quickly with that is number five, to help unbelievers understand that they have a place in heaven. The ultimate hope that life is not just what's here on earth, there is hope in heaven. There is a place for you in heaven. And when we introduce people to that grace and that forgiveness and say, because of that, you have a place in heaven, you have a place with God for eternity, that's the ultimate thing we can give them. I mean, yeah, it's great to, to help people understand that they can have a great life now or they can be better parents or they can do this and do that. I'm not sure if a sermon is where that's supposed to be because the only thing that we can offer people is grace in Jesus Christ and forgiveness through Jesus Christ and a hope that they have a place for eternity in heaven. And that's what Jesus told Paul on the road to Damascus. After this great light shone, he said, Look, I want you to go and tell the people the message of the gospel. Because I want you to open the eyes of unbelievers. I want you to help them to go from darkness into light. I want you to help them to show them how they can receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And then help them understand that they do have a place in heaven because of that forgiveness. And so, that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul finishes up, verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. So right after Paul gives this account, he's like, look, and I did that. I did exactly what God asked me to do. And so what does this mean to you? 
What does this tell you to do? As we close out today, I think a good illustration that I saw recently um, will help us understand what we need to do today. Are you familiar with the name Desmond Doss? Last year, a movie was made about Desmond's life. He was a private first class in the United States Army during World War II. And even even though the the draft was coming, he wanted to help his country. He wanted to be a part of the movement. And so instead of getting drafted, he wanted to enlist in the army so that he could go fight battles, and, and not fight battles, but be a part of the war effort. But because of his religious upbringing, uh, he, he did not want to carry a weapon. He did not want to fire a gun. He did not want to have to kill a person in battle. So he decided, he goes, I'll enlist as a medic. And so the movie Hacksaw Ridge was made about, I, don't, I can't remember if I said that or not, but the movie Hacksaw Ridge was made about uh, Desmond's life. And in particular... This place called Hacksaw Ridge, which is, which is in Okinawa, Japan. And there was a battle fought in Okinawa on this Hacksaw Ridge. And the movie follows Desmond's life as he goes through basic training, and he gets in a little bit of trouble in basic training because he refuses to fire a weapon. So he goes before a council and almost gets court-martialed, and there's this big thing. I won't give away the story, but... He ends up going off to battle, and the first place that they go is this place called Hacksaw Ridge. And the troops were just getting annihilated at Hacksaw Ridge. Because why it was called Hacksaw Ridge is because they would have to scale up a 400-foot cliff to get onto the actual battlefield. It was on, side of, it was on a mountain. So they would have to climb up there, uh, and this is on Japanese territory. It's on their land. It's their home turf. And so they had a series of uh, tunnels and booby traps and bunkers that as as soon as people would cross over into that, uh, get up onto that cliff, up on that ridge, they were just getting annihilated. And so this is where uh, Desmond and his battalion, that's where they've been sent. And so it's time for them to go to battle. All right, next battalion goes up. And as they're going, as they're traveling to this, they're seeing just tons of, tons of guys just coming by, just to blitter. I mean, they're hurt, uh, a lot of dead. <clears throat> a lot of them are dead. So they're just watching all this go by. Well, they get up on the battlefield, and they hit the same buzzsaw as everybody else. Just bullets start flying, bombs start going off, and they are just in it. They are in the weeds. So his commander orders a retreat. We got to regroup. We got to do something different. So he orders a retreat. And so by this time, night has fallen. And you see this one particular part of the movie. And Desmond's going around trying to treat people as best he can. He's got the morphine. He's trying to cover up. He's trying to do as much battlefield triage as he can. So he's on the edge of the battlefield. And he's sitting down, and he's wondering, what have I gotten myself into, and what am I doing? And then he verbally says, God, what would you have me do?
What do I do now? And obviously because of the theatrics, but at that moment, as bombs are going off, he hears behind him men from the battlefield going, Help me! Help! I need help! Help me! That was his calling. He said, okay. Puts his helmet back on, straps it down, and runs into the battlefield and starts just getting guys. Just getting guys. Just putting them on his back. He had figured some kind of pulley system where he could lower them down off this cliff, and he just starts lowering them down. Gets one guy at a time, one guy at a time. And you see this point in the movie where he's done this for a few hours, and he is absolutely worn slap out. And he breathes this prayer. God, help me get one more. And so he goes and gets one more and brings him back. Just one more. Goes out and gets one more and brings him back. And he does it all night. And at the end of it, uh, as all is said and done, he ends up saving 75 men off the battlefield that day. And in effect, that battle of Okinawa, as, those, as they brought more troops in and were, and were able to, uh, through a series of events that happened to him on the battlefield, they were able to turn the tide of the war with the battle at Okinawa. How different would our world be? How different would the city and community of Buford be if that was our prayer. God, just one more. God, give me one more today that I can tell my story to of how you saved my life. God, if you could give me one more that I can serve today so that I have the opportunity to share my story with them of how you saved my life, just give me one more. How different with this community, with this state, with this country, would this world be if that was our prayer every day? So as we do the sermon in a sentence, though, though, though the account of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus is an incredible example of Christ's saving power, we have the same power alive in us that saved us from the same destiny as Paul, and should ignite a fire in us to always be ready to share the gospel with others. Who's your one more? You'll see in your bulletin, there's a, there's, it says my one, and then there's a blank line. Who's your one? As you've sat here, hopefully you've sat there, and as we talked about who's the one, you thought a name instantly came to you, that person needs Jesus. I got a buddy I play golf with. He needs Jesus. I've got a family member that needs Jesus. Who's your one? I want you to spend time today in our invitation thinking of that name and writing that name because the first thing that we need to do for the lost is to pray for them. Pray for them by name. I was at a seminar not too long ago 
where uh, they were talking about these churches that are, that are doing this and, and writing specific names down and praying for them. They're even putting them in the bulletin and, and elsewhere. And they said, you'd be amazed at the stories of those people just walk through the doors and they're like, that's the person I've been praying for. And so it's not a worship style thing. It's not a preaching style thing. If we're going to turn these churches around and, and turn this world around, we've got to start sharing Jesus with people with intentionality and with purpose like Jesus told Paul to do on the road to Damascus. Y'all pray with me.